Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here, and welcome to another episode, another week of Scale Up Your Business. I've got a fun interview for you yet again today. Uh, in fact, when I introduce today's guest shortly, you're going to think, oh, I know that name from somewhere. Where is that from? Well, a few weeks back at the end of 2020, I did an episode which was kind of what's Nick's thoughts on everything. And instead of me just talking into the microphone, I had a lovely person interviewing me and her name is April Sprints. So yes, April back then interviewed me and today she is our guest on Scale Up Your Business. So I get to ask her some challenging questions while she is in the hot seat. Now, April is fantastic. So much energy, so much positivity. Uh, I just love speaking with her, hence the reason why, you know, she's been on the show twice. Um, She's spent two decades driving growth uh, for companies by focusing on one very important thing, and that is giving. In fact, she believes that the culture of generosity is one of the most important things that impacts businesses. So just a bit of context about April. So she started her career in the Air Force. She has then gone on to specialize in sales, operations, marketing for Fortune 500 clients. Uh, She's generated over a billion dollars in combined additional revenue for clients based on, as I said, these principles of the generosity culture. So the secret behind her success, as she says, it, is finding ways to be generous in everything an organization and its people do. And she focuses on helping leaders pour into their people in multiple ways all around this concept of generosity. She sends, says that these leaders then return that in favor of greater productivity, lower turnover and deeper engagement. So really cool. And you know what's great about this, right, is As I said, when she came and interviewed me, she was very generous with her time and very thoughtful for her questions. And it's really great to sort of go deeper in today's interview and just unpacking what's really, really important. And I suppose the thing that underlines, I think, everything about April is that she believes the quality of life improves when people are more generous, more giving, more appreciative and make a greater contribution. So it was a delight to interview her and a delight to have her on the show. So let's do it. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, April Sprints. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I can't believe we're at 120-something episodes now. These have been flying by and every week, I'm delighted to be able to bring amazing people onto the show, people who have done amazing things with business, but also with life, have usually really fantastic stories behind them, and they are making a big difference in the world. Now, tonight, today, tonight, I don't know what time we're doing this, April, I'm (laughs) delighted to bring April Sprints onto the show. And the reason I'm delighted to bring her on is that she started her career in the Air Force specializing in sales, operations, marketing, and and doing lots of cool different things around the world. But what her big thing is, is understanding the principles of generosity in business and in life. 
And what she's managed to do is generate over $1 billion in combined revenue for clients based on the principles of the generosity culture. So we're going to get into all that today, tonight. So welcome to the show, April. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. Well, let's kick this off. So, you know, I mean, you've got, I was looking through your website and there's some really cool stuff on the website. One of the things that jumped out to me was, I think this was back in your career. If you don't know what to do with it, give it to April. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> That's a job description. I love it. And I, I am so grateful that my, the early part of my career in the corporate world, once I was out of the service, was made by cleaning up messes. Basically, if it was a big problem and no one wanted to touch it, I thought it sounded like a good time and went for it. Yeah, well, so much in life is how you show up, isn't it? You know, and those Absolutely. sort of things. But you've got such an incredible story. I, there's no way that I could do it justice, I think, in trying to paraphrase it. So I'm just going to kick off by, by you know, asking you to introduce yourself and just to let um, the Scale Up Your Business listeners, listeners learn a little bit more about you. Sure, absolutely. So I started my career, as we talked about, as a, a broadcaster for television and radio in the Air Force, had an amazing experience and exposure to folks all over the world, which was fantastic. Then went into the corporate world in finance and then a software startup that we scaled and, and took public, which was amazing, and just got all this different experience. But the one thing that I kept finding that was the common thread was I loved helping people. I loved making a difference by pouring into them. And so when I started Driven Outcomes, my firm, it was really based on, okay, how fast can we help people scale or turn around a business that's failing by using those principles of what I have now named the generosity culture, which is pouring into your people and your clients and your community. And while it seems like a long game and the right thing to do, it also happens to be the fastest way to be very financially successful as a company. Okay, well, we're going to get right into the detail of that um, tonight, particularly where you we underline the point around business scale, which is appropriate for the show. Mm -hmm. But how did you, I mean, obviously your career has been interesting, different sorts of things going on. How did you land at this particular concept, methodology, perhaps ideology? Where did that come from? That was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's that much of an accident. You know, everything serves us, as we say. So you were in the right place when certain things happened. <laughs> sure. And if I go all the way back, I had someone who poured into me when I was very young. I come from a very humble background and I met a successful businesswoman when I was just nine years old. And hadn't known anyone like that and was constantly being told, oh, you can't do this and we don't do this. And these aren't the kind of things that happen to us. And then met this woman who had no reason to take an interest in me, who spent her time with me, gave me advice, helped me. And candidly, the generosity culture is modeled after her. And it became so important to me that I wanted to be like her. So it was the way that I live my life. And so that yep. became how I did business, right? Because we bring so much of who we are to the way that we do business. So as I went through different companies, doing things that everyone else thought was weird, especially when I was in sales, they were like, April is very weird about this. They're, they're, like she does <laughs> things for them. She helps people, whether they're going to be a client or not. And a lot of the folks who were the ABC always be closing kind of folks just raised an eyebrow until I was then the, the top salesperson. They were like, well, maybe there's something to this. 
And so I took that with me. Once I had had all of these great experiences, I just kept feeling like I need to be doing more. I need to be helping more than just the clients I happen to have, helping more than just the investors in the particular company I'm in that are like, these are good numbers, April. So I wanted to go out on my own. But if I'm candid, Nick, at first, I didn't know what I was going to do. My clients told me what I was going to do because they came to me with problems and asked for help. Yeah. And, and to go back to that point you said about the, this lady, this amazing lady who, who helped you um, early on, why do you think she did that? Do you, have you ever asked that question to her? I have. So it's, it's amazing. She became my Aunt Sue. She's in her late 80s and I'm still close with her. And I actually interviewed her recently to do a, a video to explain things to people. And do you know that it was nothing special to her? It was a Tuesday. She said, April, I, I am so pleased that that was such a big impact on you, but I offered that to lots of people. You happened to take me up on it. Oh, and I was so flabbergasted. So, but what that tells me is we're going about our daily lives, being our amazing, generous selves, and we're making impacts that we can't even imagine, that we, we don't even understand what a big deal that is to people. And I thought, how profound, like she has founded a movement without even knowing it that's gone around the world. And she was just showing up like it was any other day. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So sometimes people just have those values, you know, yeah. um, and they have that that desire to make an impact, not necessarily to scream about it, shout about it or anything like that, but just just to do it because it's the right thing to do. It's how they're made up. It might be how they were brought up. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I totally agree with you because I remember years ago, I used to coach uh, kids, let's call it young boys basketball. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a letter probably about 10 years ago now from one of the, the kids that I coach. And he'd gone on to run a company and was quite successful. And he wrote the letter. And he said, everything that I've done, I attribute to the, the season that I coached him. Wow. When he was like 15 or 16 or something oh, like that. Oh, my heart. Wow. That is I mean, that was amazing. And I, I read the letter and I was like almost in tears thinking, man, I just, I was a bit of a hard ass. And, you know, <laughs> we won the championship that year and I pushed him pretty hard and, you know, whatever. But you never know, do you? You know, you don't know what, what other things were going on in the guy's life at that time. But there is, I can think back in my life, there are certain people who stand out as making an impact. And it's always been about them giving time, you know, giving themselves to help me in whatever way without any expectation, without any, any obvious expectation, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting because a lot of folks, when I start talking about the generosity culture, they grab their wallet or, you know, <laughs> first. they think that, oh, you're going to want me to give money. And I laugh and I say, oh, no, no, no. I want you to give something so much more valuable than that. I want you to give your time. And, yeah, that, and I bet, I bet some people step back at that point. Right? Oh, like, well, that. I thought money was bad time. <laughs> No, indeed. And, and and what what is it about? Obviously, you've had that that obviously huge event when you were younger, and that's inspired you to do what you've done. But to to take that and then run with it and turn that into effectively a mission, a career, as you've done, how's that happened? Because you've obviously had to, you know, pay that forward, pay that back, whatever whatever the expression is, right. multiple times, pay it forward. I think, and multiple times to be able to kind of live to those values yourself. Sure. I think it, it just came to be. And in the sense that over and over again, when I would do it, the results would be so amazing. Like in the corporate world, I can remember when I first got to my first corporate job and somehow warmed my way into a leadership meeting. I think they said it was all hands on deck. So I assumed that included me. 
I don't think it did, but it didn't matter. And they had a, a huge client issue and they were going to, to lose this huge piece of business. And literally I just said, Oh no, send me, I'll, I'll fix it. And they were yeah. like, how she's been here since Tuesday. How are we going to send her? But because it was such a dire situation, I think they were willing to do that hail Mary and let me go. And it was literally being there on site with someone who was upset with the company I was with and pouring into them, listening to them, helping, not as an expert. I told them when I walked in, hey, I just got this job. You've forgotten more about what you're doing than I know, but I have access to all the people that can fix it. And I will put every bit of energy that I have into fixing this for you. And things like that throughout my career kept making such a huge impact. I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. I don't think any other way is as effective. I really don't. Well, let's let's define if we can. You've mentioned it a few times. What pouring into is? Mm-hmm. What, what what's your um, articulation of that? So that is exactly what you were talking about with the young gentleman that you were teaching basketball. It is giving someone your time, your focus, your advice, your listening to them, your helping them with no expectation of what's going to come back from that. Nothing has to. The interesting thing is it may not come back from that particular person, but it's almost like farming where you've planted all these seeds and you have no idea what's going to pop up, but it's going to be way more bountiful than what you personally would ever need. And how much of that, because I think the without expectations an interesting thing to play with, because if I, if I think about the times that I've given to people, there may not be an expectation they're going to give me back what I'm giving, but I get a feeling maybe of self-worth mm-hmm. of, of the fact that if I'm helping other people, then I have higher value. Okay. So it's not really without expectation. I am getting something, you know, as we all are getting yeah. something, but perhaps okay. it's a more noble, um, a noble uh, thing that I'm getting back. I don't know. What do you think about that? So I think that's a very fair way of saying it. And I could tweak it a little to say, you're not going to get anything back necessarily from them. You're giving them just to give. Now, for a lot of us, there is that sense of satisfaction and just that wonderful feeling that you get from doing it. And if that's enough for you to get that, which for me and, and for the folks that I work with, it absolutely is a whole lot more is going to come to you, but you're not worried about it. Does that make sense? I wonder, it does make sense, but I also wonder just to play with this concept because I think it's interesting when we, when we, because we're definitely going to take this into the business context at some point and this will Mm -hmm. land, I think, nicely for people. Is if I, because I I believe that the more value I add in the world, it's a bit of a Zig Ziglar quote, you will know it, you know, the more people I help, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And even the business sales side of that. But, you know, and I think it's something like, and I'll bastardize this a bit. If you help enough people in the world get what they want and need, you'll have everything you want and need. It's some, something like that. Right. And I, I've reflected on that quote a lot because mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. But the other thing I, I believe around it is if you, if you add that much value into the world, again, you're not going to get it back in any um, independent um, situation with an individual or whatever it ends up being. But that confidence, that belief that it builds in you you kind of feel that not that you deserve something, mm-hmm. but that just by that natural law of reciprocity that exists, mm-hmm. you know, something that you can't always explain, right? That you've you've earned enough credit <laughs> that that even if you're having a bad period of your life, everything's challenging. But you know, there's a point in time where it's going to shift. 
-hmm. And that then changes your psychology, your emotional state, and therefore how you show up. I think there's some truth to that. I also think that it's one of those things where everything is, and, and we tend to get away from this, but everything is symbiotic. We're as people, we're all symbiotic. It's all cyclical. What you give comes back. It's just that you're not necessarily waiting for that to happen. And what's interesting is I think that the happier you are as a person, the more fulfilled. If you've ever noticed, the better things happen to you over and over again. So I would say that when you're really feeling like you're giving that value, you're putting things out there, you don't even go through those bad times so much as other people because your focus is different. You're not always focused on yourself. The pandemic, for example, when that first happened, I, like everyone was like, oh my gosh, the things that were canceled, the things that I'd planned that didn't happen. The way I pulled myself out of that because, you know, I had the brief pity party, don't get me wrong, but it was, okay, how can I help other folks? If I switch my focus, then I don't ever go to that negative place. I don't ever worry about bad things happening. Does that make sense? Well, it, it does. And, and another build on that to some extent is the whole thing around gratitude and fear as being sort of opposites. So the mm -hmm. point being is that, you know, if you are grateful for what you have right now, you don't experience the fear that may be there. And I know a lot of people who, who went through the whole, exactly as you said, that pity party or the hibernation of COVID, the way out of that was to realize, you know, I've got my health, you know, I've got options, I've got choices. I just need to be able to put myself in a state to be able to see those options and be resourceful around it. Yeah. But that starts with being grateful for what you have and, and therefore the, the, the contribution that you can make. Absolutely. And I would even, I, I like grateful. I like appreciate even better. And the reason mm -hmm. is that sometimes when people say the word grateful, they can't help but think of the negative side of it. Oh, I'm grateful. I don't have COVID. Well, they're still kind of thinking about it. So instead to me, it's, I really appreciate how healthy I am. And it seems like such a small tweak, but I'll tell you a, a huge part of what I do with companies and individuals is all around mindset. And those kinds of little tweaks have such a tremendous impact on you, especially yeah, the language is important time. as well. The language and the narrative and all that is really important. Mm -hmm. So let, let's get into um, the business side of this. So, okay, you've got this, this is clearly a set of beliefs and values that have driven you personally. But you've obviously then turned this into, as I said, your career and your mission. Mm. What exactly do you do with businesses? So I go into the business and it can start in different places. A lot of times I end up starting with the sales team. And the biggest okay. reason for that is because it funds everything else that a company wants to do, right? You start with those sales folks. And from a cultural perspective, I find that the sales team tends to drive the culture in a lot of organizations because mm. not only are they client facing, but they also tend to be the clients of your operations team, your accounting folks, et cetera. So if you can get them modeling that idea of pouring into people, it can really speed up the acceptance within the company. So two-pronged approach, you go in there and I'm teaching them principles of really listening to the client, understanding how they can help, which is increasing reputation with everyone, uh, increasing the amount of times that folks want to do business with you and the amount of business they want to do. And what tends to happen, and I will go ahead and tell you, Nick, this is hugely counterintuitive and people are like, this doesn't work. This is crazy until it does, and which is really fun. <laughs> it yep. is coming to them. 
So those the sales folks are now prospecting less because they built this reputation in their marketplace of people who help and care. And so now current clients are referring business and prospects want to talk to them. And meanwhile, I'm looking at the infrastructure of the business. And I tend to usually work with small to medium-sized businesses. So somewhere between one and a hundred million annual in revenue. And what I find is that what got someone to that point, they're at a place where they don't know how to go to the next level from a scaling perspective or how to not be involved in every certain thing that happens within the company. So I can then help build that infrastructure in the other areas. And a lot of times with those same mindset things that we were talking about, plus helping them with some other things with the way they're using their time, give them the time back to start working on their business instead of always in it. Okay, well, let's unpack it. Let's go a little bit deeper because yeah. it's always I always like to have the practical part of the show because <laughs> that's all that's all good in in gaining context. Mm-hmm. So let so you let's say you work with a sales team mm-hmm. and let's assume for a second that their main focus is an outbound prospecting model. Mm-hmm. So interrupting people in the traditional sense, whatever that is, calls right. and whatever, and they're getting pretty limited results because the world's changed massively around that. You know, right. I can't remember the last time I bought any anything from anyone who did that. Um, where do you start? I mean, there must be an awareness piece first and foremost, but I'd love to know the process of how you how you start to affect the change. Absolutely. So the first is just helping them understand the concept and helping them really get in touch with a time that someone has poured into them, has offered them immense value. And for some people, it's big. For some people, it's a really little thing. But I want them to get in touch with that feeling, with with what that meant to them, with the impression it made on them. And then, like in the example of the folks that are cold calling, one of my clients that I started working with right when COVID started, that's something they did. And I said, hey, stop calling about your product. Find a way to help them with what's going on right now and call about that. Don't mention anything about what you're selling unless they ask. Ask how you can help. And in this particular situation, we're selling to schools and the schools were preparing for everyone being on you know, Zoom and, and teaching that way. And it was, okay, how can you help them with engagement with the students? What can we provide? And it happened to be something that they weren't selling as part of their product, but we could give it away and we could start to build those relationships. And I know you're not surprised that there were certain principals and folks that got on the phone and they were so blown away by the fact that someone was calling just to help. The next question would be, what do you do? And then, oh, I need that. And organically, you build this relationship. Now, does that happen on every single call? No, it doesn't. But that, that principle, when it does, she tells five other people because that is so different from what she experienced, especially in that time period. And how does that land? I mean, how does that land with authenticity? So you can see where I'm going with this because I, I don't know how your LinkedIn inbox is these days, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the, whether it's automated or not, right? I, I really appreciate when someone comes straight in with a message saying, mm-hmm. listen, you know, I, I kind of want to sell you something, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you need it, but I kind of think you might. And listen, can we talk about it or whatever, whatever the message is, mm-hmm. as opposed to, Hey, how's your day today? Right. <laughs> or even worse when they do try and offer, let's say something helpful first, mm-hmm. 
but it smells very much of not that. Do you know what I mean? So right. it so, feels like this must take a little bit of time to get people with that, that, that use the word yeah. you use appreciation to be authentic, to actually genuinely want to help. So I think part of this, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed this out. I think part of this is in the preparation. Part of this is in the conversations and the training and the things that we're doing beforehand where we're helping them understand. And it also could be that I tend to work with companies that have normally not so much one and done sales. So Mm -hmm. it matters how you do things right out of the gate, right? It's not that you're going to sell something to Nick and you're never talking to him again. So it doesn't matter. These are relationships that you're building up over time. So it's helping them understand that the value that they offer, people are paying them for that not so much the thing, not so much the product. So if you offer value to 10 people and you only sell the two because they then ask you for the product, that is over time going to build to be so many more sales down the road. It's really teaching them to look at it like a, a long game. And I said this earlier, I've got to get them to the place where they can look at it as a long game and that the value for them and for the client is really the value that they offer. Once their mindset is there, it could be really short, quick hit sales because people can feel that intent because they are authentically trying to help. And Mm. a sale is just a byproduct of that. I mean, this has happened to you, Nick. Have you ever genuinely liked someone who was selling something so much that you wanted to buy it even though you didn't need it? Well, I'm, I'm more, I'm more direct in it. I, I say that people only buy from people they know, like, and trust, Absolutely. you know, in, particularly in certain industries and, and particularly where there's a service layer, maybe, you know, it might be a little bit different if you go to Amazon to buy something, <laughs> but you know, no, there's I'm definitely, there's definitely a trust. Amazon. Sorry. Hey, I know, like, and trust Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but the thing is, and I, and I believe this, I think, you know, Anything, particularly these days where there are different ways of communicating who you are, what you stand for, values matter, impact matters, you know, it's not just about the, the money side, um, then actually I, I would argue that the people who are not building rapport mm-hmm. in that way uh, are not going to be able to grow and scale a business effectively. I mean, I feel that passionately about it. Oh, absolutely. I, I would totally agree with you. And It's not that as much as I love and really believe in the generosity culture, I don't think this is a revolutionary idea. People just aren't doing it. And I'll I'll say the thing that most people won't say. To be successful in business, table stakes, you just got to suck less than most people. So if you go the next level... You're immensely successful. It's the same as what we call the process of attrition. If you want to get somewhere in life, you just got to outlast the next guy because right? most people give up, right? So, you know, it's not about being necessarily the best. It's about being the person who can survive the longest, has the grit, determination. So it's a very similar thing. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And, and a question about the, the cynicism, because I believe in this. So you, you're, it's an open book conversation and I have a very similar process I use, which is driven very, very much about help first. Love it. Um, and then obviously, you know, what comes off the back of that, I don't even think about because I don't need to think about it because nope. it just happens. Mm-hmm. But if you're going into a business and I, and I can, uh, I, I'm just, just thinking here, mm-hmm. there's got to be layers of people who understand this and other people who are cyn- like cynical of it. Sure. I'll- so how does that work? Do you have to, do you have to come in off the back of the CEO? Oh. Uh, at what level? <laughs> oh, yeah. I come in with, I, and, and it's interesting. I'm polarizing. 
the people who want to work with me run towards me and want to work with me. And the ones who don't get it, they don't, they're just like this. <laughs> so that helps. Well, it's a bit, you've got to be really open to yourself to be able to play in this space. Because if you think about it, some people just, just aren't there. Back to your mindset point. Some people just don't, are not comfortable with that, you know, and you could argue in sales, you've got to be comfortable to be effective in it. But, you know, some people are much happier just treating a, a relationship at arm's length and not getting too close. Absolutely. So to your question, yes, I absolutely come in with full buy-in from the CEO. And when I say buy-in, it's, hey, you can't just endorse me. You're going to have to do the things we're asking folks to do. You have to model <laughs> it. Because it's like parenting. You can tell your kids to do whatever you want to tell them to do. And then they're going to do what they see you do. Yeah, they model it. Mm -hmm. and, ha and how many times does the uh, incumbent sales director leave? <laughs> you can see the wedge I'm talking about. Here. I, I don't want to put you, give you a loaded question. No, no, yeah. I haven't had a, a sales director leave, but I, I have people self-select out. There yes. is no situation where I come in where somebody doesn't go, what is going on? And it's interesting. I can usually pinpoint them in the first day. I don't say. But the people who get very scared, I know that this just isn't, when it causes paranoia, I'm like, they're going to self-select out. But that's great because that lets them go be successful somewhere where they can in a much better way. And also that starts creating that culture. I mean, every company has a culture, but if you didn't do it on purpose, it's not a good one. And as those folks leave, that culture becomes more powerfully what it needs to be for them to succeed. And I, I've yeah. let go of people as well. But again, from that place of, I want you to be somewhere where you're happy and successful based on where your thought process and mindset is and where the company's is going, that's going to cause strife for you. I want you to be successful. And then you, you let those folks go out the door. But I go so far as to say, these are the things that I think are holding you back. And I'll even write it up for them because in that conversation, right, you don't always feel like you can take feedback or you might want to look at it later. They may throw it away, throw it at my car on the way out the door, who knows. But I've actually had folks reach out to me later and say, thank you for that. I'm doing something I love so much more now. And I actually kept what you wrote me about the things that might help me be more successful. It's not everyone, but to me, if it's just one person, it's worth the effort to do it. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, you know, people are often um, afraid to make change, you know, and they get stuck in situations where they feel comfortable, even if they're not happy. Yeah. And um, one of the things you said, um, again, it was I read this on your website when I was preparing. You said there are two characteristics that 100% predict the um, or predict business success. What are those characteristics? Aptitude and attitude. Ah, and I'd cool. say attitude is so much more important than aptitude, but that's my personal opinion. And what, no, no, I talk about this all the time and I hire to those two characteristics, if you want to call it that as well. At what point do you think um, the experience part, if ever, becomes more important? Is there a level in the business or is it always, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's a percentage of the attitude and aptitude which always outweighs experience. I would um, be in, in a role. surgery. I'd be willing to say experience is going to be attitude. I would say that too. And they normally lack bedside manner sometimes. <laughs> Well, the best, the best surgeons tend to, but I'm okay with that. If you're going to mess around in my brain, 
it's fine if you're not nice to me. If yeah, you, you want precision at that do. point. That's absolutely right. Okay. Business, no. In most business, I'll take attitude over experience if I have other folks in the business who can teach you the right way to do it because all experience is not created equal. No. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to simplify what you do too much, but it, it sounds to me like there's a massive cultural transformation component of your work. Absolutely. So you may focus on, on the gener- generosity culture, but actually what you're doing is you're transforming the culture, the attitudes, potentially the behaviors, therefore, of what the company and the DNA of that within an organization. Absolutely. And approaching it from a whole person perspective. So Obviously, it's the company that hired me. It's the company that matters. But the part that I love just as much is when people start saying, my relationship at home is better because of using these types of principles in my home, like pouring in with your children, right? We all try and and, and be the best parents that we can, but we're distracted. We're busy. We're doing these things. What if it becomes our habit to be fully present, to really listen with our our partners, our spouses, our kids? That's so impactful. And again, I talked about everything being symbiotic, everything being, you know, cyclical, that better home life makes them show up better at work. So there's, to me, there's all upside. And again, I can come off very Pollyanna. I'm good with that because I've seen it happen (laughs) and I've seen the tremendous impact that it has on people. Let's talk about impact and then I want to go somewhere else with this conversation Mm -hmm. after that. So let's talk about the impact you make. So you said you work with businesses between 1 million and say 100 million in terms of turnover. Mm -hmm. How is success measured in your your work? So what are some of the impacts you've made and how how have you been able to show the return of you coming in? Absolutely. So the success is going to be measured differently in every different company, because I can tell you what means I was successful, but that doesn't mean it's going to resonate with you, Nick. So I asked them, what would be different if this had been just absolutely everything you wanted it to be? And I'll be candid on if it is or isn't something I can impact, because I I don't like to be that person that's there for a long, long time. I don't like those consultants that are around so long that you're like, does he work here? Did, did we just hire him forever? So we really agree on those things. An example would be uh, there was a, a company that hired me that was in the red. They were losing tens of thousands of dollars a month, a smaller company, only about five, $6 million a year in revenue. But literally the owner was funding it off the back of another successful company because anywhere from 15 to $50,000 a month was just going out the door. And in six months, that company went from losing that much money to being profitable. And that was just based on nothing really with the sales force. That was Mm -hmm. based on going in and seeing that the biggest area they had for opportunity was in the way that they were taking care of their clients. And when they started taking better care of their clients, they got exclusive business with them at a higher rate for everything. And just that one part, and that was a small part of the things we were doing in in those six months, that took them to profitability. So it's a big thing in terms of, you know, the whole, you know, if, you, if the plug in the bath is pulled out and the water's falling out through the drain, then, you know, you're never going to fill the bath, not effectively. Right. But but let, let's play with that just a bit. So, so again, so our listeners can understand how you would effectively, effectively do that. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously you must have firstly diagnosed the problem. So understood 
or maybe even spoken to customers to well, find that out? Absolutely. So it was super interesting. I, I well, at first I spoke with an employee who was complaining about the customer and saying, this client has <laughs> me paying and asked for so much. And this is in the transportation industry where it's not a high touch, high service area. It's, can you get this from here to here and don't break it or lose it? Okay, I can't. All right, you're fired. So when this company was asking for lots of proactive information and lots of contacts, she was like, this is so annoying. I hate this client. And I'm paying attention. I'm like, well, who are their clients? Why are they asking for that? What is the, the need that they are trying to meet? And I found out that they had a different service model where they were very high touch with their clients. They needed that information. And to me, when I see a problem client, I think, okay, they're just the one that's saying, and is this an opportunity to do a niche service that other people aren't doing that will make us different? So I said, we're going to do everything that they're asking us to do, and we're going to do a little more. And I'll be honest, mm. in that moment, and that's when you have to have that CEO buy-in because pretty much everyone's rolling their eyes like, we're about to lose our jobs, the company's going under, and you want us to take better care of this person or this business. But in doing that, that's how they kept themselves from losing that relationship. They were very close to doing it. And then, oh, by the way, they had a tiny, tiny piece of business from this company. And because they were approaching it differently than anyone else, literally in the nation, they got a huge chunk of business from this company in a matter of months. So the cause effect of this is interesting for me to just unpack a bit as well. So obviously the effect was, as you described, you know, very dissatisfied customers leaving, you know, not wanting to work. What was the root cause, if you can be specific? Mm -hmm about this because because often I find, and I've been a CEO of a number of businesses um, before doing what I do now, which is mainly investment, um, often the patterns, and we talked about this, the modeling of the company is the behaviors of the leader or the leadership team. Mm -hmm. So how did, I'm, I'm, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, sorry, about no, April, but I'm just trying to kind of you know, really connect with this point because because there's what you do is actually really quite, you're going to say it's easy because that's, I've already got a sense of, you know, how you look at life and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it's actually quite difficult because, you know, you're going in there and you're calling it as it is. And there's behaviors that are being demonstrated probably by leaders in these businesses mm -hmm. that are having a negative effect on how people are therefore demonstrating those behaviors in the places that really matter. Absolutely. I'm, I'm smiling because you're very intuitive. You know very little about, and you've just basically nailed it with what you're saying. Oh, so, everyone says that, by the way. So um, I'm, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to slowly believe that that might be a superpower of mine, but I listen intently is the other way. <laughs> it's, it's, that's got to be part of your area of genius because everyone else is amazed and you're like, okay. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So two things were at play there. Number one, the owner, the CEO that brought me in was completely absentee. He was not there. He was running the other uh, team, okay. right? First part of the issue. Person who was in charge, terrible. Remember I said people self-select out? I believe yep. that guy started packing as I walked through the door. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine that you would be a force of nature in a positive way, April. And, and some people who don't want to go there, I can imagine that they would be realizing that pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he was very uh, quick to, to point out that he didn't think that our attitudes and processes of doing business matched. But to your point, he found what that client was asking annoying. He personally, he didn't touch anything with it, but it didn't matter because that attitude 
that way of feeling and looking about it had permeated everyone who was servicing. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when you, when someone walks into a room and they're in a negative state or they just generally have a negative view on things, they don't have to say a word. I mean, body language is huge, of course, but mm-hmm. you feel it, don't you? Absolutely. And it, it there's like a pallor across the room, right? They can, they can pull everything down. And it's interesting. That's one of the reasons that I often say to people, I'm like, look, who you fire tends to matter more than who you even hire mm, when you I agree with that. one of these businesses. Because it doesn't take very many folks to make that environment toxic for everyone else. And it's funny sometimes how the leaders, they, they either don't see that or they know it, but they don't want to address it. I had a, mm-hmm. a client recently and I worked with them for three months and we only did actually one thing. The brief that I came in to do was very different to what we actually delivered mm-hmm. um, because obviously you need to be in the game to see how it's played. Mm-hmm. And it was one move. You know, the, the person who was effectively running the operation of this company didn't want to be there. Ooh. And as soon as we switched that out, put someone in, uh, the whole thing, the metrics that were important to the business in terms of occupancy, it's a, a kind of a, a real estate business, um, went through the roof within three months. Oh, yeah, I believe it. But it took a little bit of time for the, the CEO to feel comfortable with that decision they had to make the decision i could only recommend it based on what i was hearing and seeing but it was clear that that one piece that one cog was not going to fit with what needed to happen mm-hmm. and that person either had to change which was just not going to happen or they uh, they had to go okay now i have a question for you and we're probably not allowed okay. to do that but i'm doing it no well i, I tend to I, I just i just answer the question back so, so what's so <laughs> interesting is what you just said about it was the right thing to do. I had to recommend it. And then you have to wait for that leader to adjust and and make the move. That was probably the hardest thing for me to learn to do when I knew Mm. it's going to make such a huge impact. Was that intuitively easy for you? Or are you much like me going, I know it's going to work out. It'll happen eventually. It's driving me insane. <laughs> well, I'm not, you know, what's funny, right? And, and I think the world that you and I operate in, which is not that dissimilar in different ways, I don't call myself a coach, a mentor, an advisor, or a consultant. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are effectively tools for any given situation and that I can take them out the tool bag and use them. So in situations like that, my natural tendency would be more to mentor if you, if you get that or to advise and say, you've got to make a decision now. This is the decision. This is, I can see it it's so clear. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I know this is right, but my back to intuition and back to understanding the person that you're trying to assist. In this case, it was the, the CEO of this business. I knew that they needed to reflect or have time to feel comfortable with that decision for it to ground and then for it to have sustainability. But that, how do you do that? I mean, you, you know this as well. After having multiple conversations all the time, you, you, you start to realize the people that you're working with and you start to realize the triggers. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, you're there to get the most effective result for them. Absolutely. I don't think anyone has ever asked me, what have you learned the most doing this? For me, it has been to meet people where they are. Yeah, I love it. And that's it is so powerful, drive. isn't it? Though? It is, mm-hmm. and that's why you know this idea that that what we do can be templated. Um, I have, I have ways of operating in companies which are, you know, productized, mm-hmm. right? Just just in terms of my capacity. So nothing is what I would call one hundred percent bespoke, but the detail within those interventions are. 
because they have to be. You can't, there's no way you can prepare for that. Mm-hmm. And quite often, you know, the ambition might be to grow and scale a business to sell for eight to nine figures, the usual brief, but the way, the pathway to doing that is never the same. Right. So I want to go somewhere a little bit else as we start to close yeah. up. A couple, couple of things. So that's all right. Because you're, we, we danced around the area of mindset and, and how people show up and, and you show up in an incredible way. So if people are, some people will see the video of this and some people will just hear how you're talking, but your energy and your positivity is certainly a strength that just comes straight out. It's, it's on your website. It's, it's 100% reflected in this conversation. So how do you manage that? Is that just you or have you worked on this? I'd love to know the stuff that you do personally, because it's such an important part of your character, your brand, who you are. Absolutely. So some of it's innate. Some of it, I've always had this belief that anything was possible. And I, I think I was born with that. However, from a mindset perspective, I actually used to have a mindset that really didn't work for me. And part of it, I think, came from family of origin. Part of it came from my time in the service. No matter what happened, I would blow it out to worst case scenario and just make sure I could deal with that and then come back in and handle the situation. And I've worked on my mindset for about five years as religiously as most people go to the gym. I do it every day, constantly, because it is my most powerful tool. There is no- And you can tell. You There's can tell. nothing else so, that's so, powerful. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about the workout. <laughs> So, so what is that? What's your routine? What do you do? I mean, a, a lot of people talk about mindset and they read a book mm-hmm. and then they do nothing, but you obviously, what's the, what's, what's the playbook? Give us that. So one of the, the biggest things that I do, and I love sharing this because, you know, most really successful people have like these hour and a half long morning routines, which scare people and make them feel inadequate. Mine's <laughs> 30 seconds. And it love this. Go. Do it for 30 days. It'll change your life. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, before I grab my phone, before I get out of bed, before I even roll over, is I start listing things that I appreciate. And they some are huge, some are really small. My sheets make the list more often than I would like to say. They're soft, it feels good. <laughs> and it can be some wonderful big opportunity or impact that I made with someone, or it can be, you know, something as, as small as the sheets or the pillow. But by starting my day that way, that momentum, it just it keeps going from there. And that is is a huge thing. Now, things happen to me like they do everyone else. So one of the things I force myself to do, no matter what the situation is, is stop when I'm upset and say, okay, just for fun, tell me three ways this could be working for you that you can't imagine right now. I don't care how ludicrous they are. What are three ways that this could be working for you? If you take that 30,000 foot view and try and give yourself that objective opinion that a friend that cared about you would give. And the other thing that I have done is I actually worked with a software company and developed a gamified mindset challenge. And the first time I went through it with people, it takes like three to eight minutes a day for 30 days. And I'd interact with them in real time. And in addition to interacting with them, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it with them. I don't want to ask them to do something I'm not doing. So I'm going to do all of it. And I had created it. Oh, well, isn't it interesting? I got a lot out of it. So for me, it's don't ever assume that you're at that place where you know it all and you can't learn more. I am constantly practicing reading, reframing, listening to other people, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's sometimes called a growth mindset, which is a bit of an overused term, but (laughs) I I love the, 
But you know what? I mean, you know, we, I, I don't mean to be cynical about that at all. Cause I, I have practices and habits and routines, which are off the charts. And some people, when they, I don't do the three hour morning routine, right. it's not about the time and it's not about getting up at four 45. It's about the stuff that's going to work for you to set your day up for success in whatever way, shape or form that is. Sure. And so I, I, I sometimes find the, the templated approach to a morning routine or whatever you want to call it a daily routine is actually not the best prescription because, you know, for you, it might be what you do for me. It might be some meditation exercise might feature at some point. It doesn't have to be first thing, but there are clear principles around how you are continually growing and learning, which means when you do show up for whatever opportunities and challenges present themselves, uh, you are putting yourself in the best position to make the most of those things. And I think anyone, anyone's listening to this, and it has been a theme through the, the different people who've come on scale up your business. I, I don't think anyone who's successful has not got something like what you described as part of what they do and who they are. Well, and if I can add one thing to that, because I think sometimes it can be so daunting because the people want to do, you know, Jeff Bezos's routine. And again, it's like nine minutes or whatever. <laughs> don't forget that a small amount of effort consistently executed over a long period of time trumps that big, great routine that you did for two and a half months every time. Yeah. So it becomes just what you do, isn't it? It's, it's kind of just becomes something you don't think about. It's like people use the analogy of you brush your teeth and to some extent that's right. But yeah, I agree with that too. And and this is what I, I, I did a podcast episode last week, which was called the power of three. Uh-huh. And it was effectively when people get overwhelmed, because a lot of people do get overwhelmed too, too easily. I always say, just focus on three things, just these three things, you know, yeah. less is less is even better, but don't do more. Right. <laughs> And then you can make those things become, you know, part of, as I said, who you are. Absolutely. I could not agree more. All right. So a couple of things to finish up with. I want you to give three pieces of advice, if that's okay, Mm -hmm. to anyone who's listened to this. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a bit of a hard question because it could be all sorts of businesses. (laughs) It could be big ones, small ones, startups, whatever. But there, there is an undercurrent of the generosity culture that you've talked through this evening. And I'd like you to give three takeaways or three bits of advice, if you can, for people listening who would like to bring more of what you're talking about into their business, potentially into their life um, in a way that they can make make impactful. Absolutely. So under the umbrella of the generosity culture, I would, number one, ask yourself in, in any situation, whether you are in your business with your own people, with your clients, with the community that your business serves, how can I help? It's just a few words, but it is so impactful because if you are constantly coming at things from that way, the creative solutions that will come up Mm, will be amazing. How can I help? I love that. Such a powerful question. So simple too. Mm -hmm. The second one is this. Some people are afraid to really pour into their clients because of what they might uncover. I don't want to know they're upset. I, I, I feel like we're not doing a great job. I don't want that to be confirmed. Don't forget that when you resolve an issue for a client and you do it well, they like you better than they did when they were just satisfied and happy. Hmm. Don't be afraid to dig into that because that is a a really powerful thing that can really help your business. The third thing is this, you have to be generous with yourself so that you can show up well for everyone else. So, Hmm. you know, popular to talk about self-care, all of those things, 
But if you don't first make sure that you're being generous in taking care of what you personally need, you can't be anywhere near as impactful for your business, for your family, for all the people that are important to you. So make sure that you're generous there first. Yeah, I love that. That last one in particular, so many leaders forget that. They think that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, the first person, it's that terrible analogy about the plane, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you put the mask on. <laughs> Uh, I, I use it. I think it gets used too much, but it's, but it's perfect, isn't it? You know, you've got to, you've got to do that to be effective, to help anyone else. And if you don't do that, then of course, everything could just be, you know, chaos. So oh, that's, listen, that's a lovely way to finish. So um, now you, now let's, let's get this right. You have a book. I have a book that I contributed to that I would love for folks to check out. It was myself and 41 other veterans from all the different branches of service. And and we all contributed to this book talking about someone who made a monumental impact on us and our gratitude towards them. There's some actual military heroes in this book, people you will know who they are. And 100% of the proceeds go to the Special Operations Warrior Foundation to the children of folks who have have died in combat, to the families and veterans. And so anyone who wants to pick that up, it's called Standing O Salute. You can find it on Amazon and it does a world of good. And it also shares with you inspiring stories from inspiring folks. One of my favorite books from years ago was Chicken Soup for the Soul. It is very much like that. Yes. Yeah. Jack Canfield. I love that. It was like, you know, if you're having an average day, let's say, read a story from there and you get the inspiration. So, so what was it called again? Just so we can. It's called Standing O Salute. Great. Okay. We'll make sure that we put a link to that, to Amazon in the, uh, in the show notes. And where can people find you, April, if they want to know more about what you do and, and how you can help businesses, et cetera, where can they reach you? Absolutely. I'd love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. My website is drivenoutcomes.com and I am the only April Sprints in the United States, possibly the world, because I have one of those crazy last names. So, You're very lucky about that. <laughs> I, I noticed that, Nick, because there's a golf guy with your name. <laughs> and there's a there's there's a, a horse uh, racing guy and you know i think in google it was nick bradley two million and eighty four you know at gmail.com I was like no i'm joking but um there's there's a really i'm going to finish with there's a you've got a lot about your story which is really powerful there's a there's a picture here of a little girl with a rock with a mermaid on it <laughs> is that you or is that just a picture of a girl that is representative That's not me because we don't have pictures when I did that. But I actually went back. I shot a video that is is on right now of the rocks that I colored and the house that I was in when I grew up. Yeah. So I'm going to say, you know, check out um, April's website and, and have a look at the various things that now, I think have happened. Me, she's well, you know, but it's I the stories that her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great photo. It reminds me of my little daughter loves those things. But I think, you know, again, the, the point I want to make here is your story in terms of that, therefore what you do now is very, very well articulated on your website. So I think, you know, if people want to get to know a bit more about you and what drives you and how you have got to where you've got to, um, it's a really nice site to be able to articulate and it's pink. the person you are. <laughs> What's that? And it's pink. <laughs> it's pink and it's happy. <laughs> very good. Well, listen, um, April, it's been a pleasure having you on Scale Up Your Business. Um, we've had a great conversation. I knew we would. And uh, thank you for showing up in the way you have and, and helping all the listeners just to get a little bit more in touch with something which I think is often either misunderstood or maybe that's an excuse, certainly not practiced effective enough. But to, to me, if I can just kind of you know finish on this, 
it's just it's just a great way to be in the world. And if you can if you can help more people get what they want to go back to that quote, then you are going to be so much more happy and satisfied in your endeavors. And I would go as far as to say you're going to be more successful in in all the areas that you want to be. So thank you, April. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. It was wonderful. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.